So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast, Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil, and with me is Eric. With a great podcast comes great responsibility. We are swinging our way into the Spider-Man multiverse. So we've had a new film in the Spider-Man series come out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Spider-Man No Way Home, released December 17th, 2021, and it has gone on to obliterate the box office. It has uh, pumpkin bombed the box office. It's wall crawled its way up to the third highest grossing film domestically, passing Avatar and the sixth highest grossing film worldwide. And it's only been out for two months. Wow. Eric, tell me about your, your history with Spider-Man. What, what got you into the character? Have you seen all the movies? Where, where does Spider-Man sit in the Eric Walensky uh, timeline? The very first Spider-Man thing I remember is I got a Palatoy Spider-Man uh, like 12-inch doll that came with this Spider-Copter and nice. yeah i got that for christmas one year and it was super duper cool and it came with a whole bunch of different weapons and accessories and stuff not really weapons just accessories and that was like my first exposure to spider-man and then growing up uh, in the 80s i would catch those kind of low budget but still decent for the era spider-man movies the same ones they made like that had captain america you know, where they're they're not really muscly. They're just normal guys in spandex suits running around. I saw those quite a few times, but that's really all my childhood memories or association with Spider-Man. That's pretty much where it ends. Um, of course, you know, aware of him in popular culture, but I never read the comics. I never really got into the cartoon series or any of that. Um, again, mm -hmm. just being a comic nerd, I was familiar with his general backstory and the villains he fought and stuff like that but otherwise uh i never really gave uh spider-man uh much attention until uh till toby came along yeah interesting there were three comic book heroes that i like knew and uh, as far back as i can remember superman batman and spider-man 
And when I started collecting comics, I got every single Spider-Man title that was out there. If it was a one-off, a one-shoot uh, Spider-Man title, I would get it. If it was a The Web of Spider-Man, if it was The Spectacular Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, obviously, just Spider-Man. I mean, there were so many different versions of comics, and there was basically one that came out a week, and there were... I think four main titles. So each week there was a different Spider-Man comic and I, I had them all and I collected so many. I, I love the symbiote series. I love the, the clone series saga, um, maximum carnage, which is a conversation for another podcast, but I love the maximum carnage storyline. It's just Spider-Man was so integral to my like teen preteen teen years before any of these movies came out. And I, I recognized, which is kind of what Stan Lee wanted, right? He wanted average, normal people to see mm-hmm. themselves in his characters. And mm-hmm. Spider-Man was the one that I related to the most because he was a nerdy kid that was kind of, you know, not, he definitely wasn't popular, got pushed around. And like you said before, with that great power came great responsibility. And I, I always looked at that as something to like aspire to. And if I, you know, let's, if I got picked on at school, I could go home and read Spider-Man and see that Peter Parker had been picked on and look where, what he became. And it was kind of like a nice parallel that just got me lost in the story and made me feel better myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when they were, when they announced that they were making a Spider-Man movie in what, 2000 or 2001, we heard about it. I was yeah. over the moon. I was so excited. I'm sure we talked about it because we were, at that point, we had met each other in 2001. We probably saw Spider-Man together in the theaters. <laughs> we probably saw all of these together in the theaters. Actually, we did. You actually remember these things. Well, I do remember this specifically because uh, Liz and I went on a Friday night. I believe it was at 9 or 9.30. And back then... Uh, my approach to going to the movies is different than it is now. Now I'm looking for the time when there's going to be the least amount of people. Back then I was like, hey, yeah, you know, 930, it'll be a fun, cool experience with, you know, a big audience. Yeah, except two people brought a baby to opening night, 930 p.m. show. Wow. And the thing started crying. And I'm like, do you know how many nerds are in here right now? I, I mean, I have to believe they were nerds themselves, but they were nerds who weren't thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, wow. it it only cried for like 15 minutes. But in a movie theater, that's, you know, when you're that's trying to enjoy a blockbuster, that's an eternity. Anyway, <laughs> but I just I couldn't believe that. And, and that's kind of what set me on <laughs> my current path of avoiding big crowds if i really care about the movie because i just can't trust that people are going to make proper decisions right right but anyway i do remember (laughs) that and then uh and then you know what we could have maybe seen the second one together because i don't really remember um when i went and saw the second one um and then the third one i know we didn't see together because i've actually never seen it all the way through in one sitting oh okay wow wow yeah, I, I don't. I really don't remember seeing any of them. I just remember the feeling I had when I saw them. 
you know, these types of movies in 2002, it would have been an opening night movie for me. I would have seen it opening night. If it was with anybody, then it was with Kevin. Probably. Um, And then in 2004, when Spider-Man 2 came out, I, again, don't remember, but it, again, would have been an opening night film that I saw. And um, Spider-Man 3, probably opening night, maybe opening weekend. But, you know, at that point, life is getting in the way. Jobs are getting in the way. Well, since, yeah, since we're digging into them there, I... The, the first one, I enjoyed it, but I hated, hated, and to this day I hate that Green Goblin had that solid mask. Yeah. And to have an actor like Willem Dafoe with such an expressive nature and to hide it behind the mask, oh, it drove me up the wall and still to this day drives me up the wall. And which is why I loved when we get to no way home that he smashed that mask right from the get-go and we got to see an expressive crazy goblin face out of him that really made me happy um and then that second one um was okay i enjoyed it but i i didn't love love it there were some great moments well i mean it was good it just uh i don't know if that's when my superhero movie exhaustion set in or what because i that's that's why i just didn't go see the third one i was like eh i saw the first two you know i wasn't uh i wasn't so stoked like oh i gotta see this third conclusion to this it was like ah i don't know interesting i loved the second one spider-man 2 i like better than the original spider-man with toby i just i can I mean, probably i know goblin is is great and willem dafoe is perfect as the green goblin i completely agree that the mask hid what we should have seen of the goblin but i also really liked the the costume i thought the costume was really cool but i agree except for that mask except for the mask yeah but doc ock was such a good character and and alfred molina played him so well except for the bowl cut he had everything doc ock should have (laughs) I agree. No, it, it was good. I didn't train not scene? like it. Oh. Yeah, the train scene was great. That is still to this day probably my favorite Spider-Man action sequence in any movie, which hmm. says a lot with No Way Home. But yeah. um, then Spider-Man three in two thousand seven. I I saw it, and I remember leaving the theater and. I think that very well could have been maybe the second time in my life where I thought this could have ruined my childhood. And it didn't, but Spider-Man 3, the way they approached Venom and the way they approached Eddie Brock was so far off from the comics and the way that Toby interacted with the suit, it was just so weird and different. And, you know, everybody talks about the dancing scene um, and it, it is awkward. It is not as bad as, I guess it is as bad as everybody says, but it is just super awkward and really has no place in the film. Your shots are so good. I'd love to shoot you sometime. Peter Parker. Peter. Parker! Miss Brent! That's not the position I hired you for. Black suit Spider-Man. 
Peter, these are incredible. You gotta have these, Jonah. I'll pay you the usual rate. If you want the shots, I'll take the staff job. Double the money. I just, I, I didn't love it. And I was like, this, this is destroying what I know of the symbiote series. Mm-hmm. And how could they do this to me? You know, how could they ruin this from what I read when I was a kid? And so, yeah, that was one of the first times, aside from Phantom Menace, <laughs> where I thought, this is, this is painful. They're doing something that is hurting my memories. Like I said, it didn't. I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I left the theater and I was like, they, they ruined Venom. And this, this, you know, back then, this was our shot. We're never going to see Venom again. And, you know, obviously now things have changed, but I thought in 2007 they ruined the Venom character and there'd be no way we'd get a real Venom in film again. And I guess we still haven't gotten a real Venom in film, but that's another conversation for another show. Mm -hmm. But then, so Toby did his trilogy. They all grossed a good amount of money. I mean, Sam Raimi did a great job with the trilogy, but... Spider-Man kind of went away because the MCU started kicking and Mm -hmm. superhero movies started changing. It wasn't just this like contained little series. It was now if you're creating something, it's going to be epic. And so Sony five years later, right? To to 2012. Yeah. 2007 to 2012. They came up with the idea to start building a different Spider-Man universe. And they rebooted Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield and Mark Webb directing uh, The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012 and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014. And those movies didn't do as well. Um, The reception to them wasn't as good as the reception to Toby. Do you remember? Did you see those in theaters? I did not. And I've actually only ever seen... Uh, parts of either film. Okay. Never gotten the whole way through. No, like I said, that's, I was starting to suffer from superhero movie fatigue uh, around that time. But then the shining uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy came out. And after I saw the dark Knight, that honestly was for me a superhero mic drop movie and it's like i don't need another movie after this this i'm good and then of course the dark knight rises came out which wasn't as good as it but it still was a satisfying enough conclusion and i'm like i'm i'm good with superhero movies like i'm i i had reached my my pinnacle so when andrew garfield came out my my initial thought was and we can discuss this but i was like didn't we just do Spider-Man? Why are we doing Spider-Man again so soon? At least the Nolan trilogy came, what, 93 was the last of the uh, Tim Burton and Joel uh, Schumacher, Schumacher yeah, yeah. Yep. versions. So so there had been, I don't know, I guess. A decent amount of time, yeah. Tw- 12 years, I suppose. And then how much time between... Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man Three. Yeah, it was only five years. Only five years, yeah. And then, and then, of course, with today's modern media, the hype around "Ooh, Andrew Garfield's going to be Spider-Man" started at least a year or more before 
the movies even came out. So it just seemed like, didn't we just do Spider-Man? Um, I don't know. I didn't feel that way with Batman, really. Um, I guess yeah. because the last two were so comical and goofy, and this like had such a severe, different tone to it, whereas what I was kind of gathering from what The Amazing Spider-Man was going to be, it's like, well, that's just kind of like the other one with subtle differences. Right. Right. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. Um, I Since Spider-Man was like in my top three of superheroes growing up, I was definitely excited. And I, I thought it's really cool to get the lizard as the villain. But when I saw the movie, I was disappointed. I was sad because they took they took Spider-Man's backstory and they were creating their own backstory. Like there was still an Uncle Ben, but it was different. Spider-Man was too hung up on his parents and they made this whole weird backstory about his parents and like they were like spies or secret agents or something and mm-hmm. it just was very kind of off-putting to the Spider-Man mythos. And so I didn't love that whole like big picture surrounding the character mm-hmm. I loved Andrew Garfield I thought he was a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire I thought he was better at the wisecracks I thought his tonality and his embodiment of the character was just a little bit better but he wasn't given anything good to do mm-hmm. uh, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy was really good too she was she was really a great character to introduce um but in amazing spider-man 2 they really ruined everything about peter and gwen's relationship because they did it all backwards they had um norman osborne's son be the green goblin and it was this weird looking green goblin and electro was a really bad villain jamie fox did what he could but the direction and the script was just so bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was just a very very odd and different take that sony really expected everybody to love they were building their cinematic universe in these two films Mm -hmm. especially in the second because in the second you get to see six different villain costumes in some like underground oscorp lab yes yeah so yeah, they're trying to build out this thing where they're going to create this far-reaching Sony Spider-Man universe to compete with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they had already announced they were going to make another Spider-Man movie and a Sinister Six movie, and they were going to just keep it going. But this movie did so... Amazing Spider-Man 2 did so poorly. And I say poorly in quotes, right? It, it The budget was 250 It grossed worldwide 7 just over 7 that's not great for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. So it did stop them in their tracks. And it took a couple of years, but we were, in my opinion, we were very lucky in that Marvel was able to negotiate with Sony to get Spider-Man into the MCU with, uh, with Civil War, Captain America Civil War, which should have been an Avengers movie, but was a Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. We had Iron Man find this kid, and then Tom Holland was the new spider-man a 15 year old um spider kid (laughs) 
who is new. He just got bit by a radioactive spider. He's been doing this for a couple months. Iron Man comes and grabs him and brings him to um, to fight against the splinter group of Captain America's side of, of the whole mm-hmm. Sokovia Accords. So were you excited when you heard Spider-Man was going to be part of this? Or were you like still with fatigue of you're not super into the MCU, but you are, but hey, here's Spider-Man again, but it's a different character. T- tell me about how that played out in your head. Yeah, I I was fatigued. I I still I suffered fatigue pretty much all the way until uh Infinity War. And then I was like, "Oh, so this is going somewhere." <laughs> like I just got tired of these endless endless battles and of course everybody's made fun of the sky beam and all the, you know, everything's at stake, but nothing's at stake. And I'm like, geez, oh, Pete's, none of this matters. You know which way it's going. And I don't like these characters enough, but but I didn't dislike them. I thought everybody that was chosen was was really, really well done um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it, it just, it wasn't until Infinity War that I was like, oh, okay. And actually, I didn't even see Infinity War until two months before Endgame came out. So in my, yes, in my fatigue that kept me on the bench, I did not have to wait those two years like everybody else did. Like I watched Infinity War and was like, whoa, oh cool, Endgame's coming out soon. (laughs) (laughs) And so I dove right in. But yeah, but back to Spider-Man himself. Um, When I did... When I did sit down so and watch, Civil War was a was a home view for you, uh, except for I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe was a home view for me. Wow. Um. And and, and except for Infinity War and Endgame, and then. And then I've also seen uh, uh, the Spider-Man No Way Home in the theaters. But otherwise, yeah, largely the Marvel Cinematic Universe has all been a home view because I was just not really hot on a lot of it. Even though I loved like Iron Man, I was like, wow, that movie was awesome. But then I watched the second one and I was like, eh, that was kind of all over the place. And and that's the thing, you know, any, any series is going to be, you know, up and down a little bit. Nothing can maintain perfect perfection for that long but right. uh, but then right. yeah so civil war was a home view and i was like neat spider-man's in it neat neat you know but i i wasn't really like enthralled with it all but now mm-hmm. i'm super enthralled with all of it because yeah. i was so impressed with the way the mcu stuck the landing with endgame that i'm like these these movies wow these are really really good so now this next phase i'm gonna try and keep up um, won't necessarily see everything in the theaters, but I'm, I'm willing to, to put a little bit of trust in the MCU with all their stuff. Although it's, it's hard right now because there's so much hard. Disney plus it's, and the yes, movies and tying and it all together. That's mm-hmm. what I was just going to say. Now I feel like if I don't watch absolutely everything, I'm not going to get stuff. Yeah. Which I will say the, the main, the core movies. So Spider-Man No Way Home you don't really have to watch anything to get that 
but if you did watch Loki, you know where things are going. Um, Eternals didn't really have anything to do with it, so that's, you know, it, Eternals is fine to not have watched. Upcoming, you know, Hawkeye came out this past holiday season. Didn't really have to see that, but they did have a nice nod to it, to Spider-Man No Way Home in one of the episodes of Hawkeye. So They did? Which there's one? Like, there's like good crossover. Um, I think it was the fifth episode. It might have been the last episode, but I think it was the fifth, not the sixth, where um, Yelena from Black Widow says something about the Statue of Liberty, and it references the Statue of Liberty that they're building with Captain America's oh, shield. Oh, right, in right, the way right. Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like little Easter eggs here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to just keep up with like the main MCU, MCU storyline, I think you're really going to have to just pay attention to Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and that's, and then I guess Loki season two, but I don't know. They're, they're building to something, but it's really unclear how they're getting there, which in the first phase of the MCU, it was pretty clear what they were doing. They were building a team and the end game was Thanos. Of course, it took a long time to get to Thanos, but I can't really tell what they're building to here. I know Kang is what they're building to, but. I don't know how they're going to tie everything together because Eternals are are a whole separate thing and then they're bringing all these characters like Moon Knight in and She-Hulk and Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. I just don't, don't know how it's all going to fit, but we'll see. I mean, that's what they've become really good at is making it all fit. So mm-hmm. anyway, back to, back to Spider-Man. I was super excited when he was going to be in civil war because I loved the civil war series and Spider-Man is a huge, huge part of it. He unmasks himself for the world. Um, but at that, at that point in the comics, he's a well-known superhero. So him unmasking himself and taking the side of Iron Man against, um, Captain America is a really big deal. In this film, they shoehorn a 15 year old kid into the middle of this civil war idea and it doesn't have the same impact it's more fan service than it is a good move for the story and that's where i like i enjoy civil war but i don't like how they force spider-man in there i would have rather them hold off on spider-man or do something a little different with him than to make him like a brand new superhero that nobody's ever heard of yeah if you really think about it like tony stark's whole relationship with them is you know you're not ready yet kid you know stay low-key kid and then but i'm going to take you to fight like the top-notch superheroes in the world Mm. like that that move in itself doesn't make sense with then the way spider-man's treated the rest of the time right like as a kid it's like well is he a kid or is he a weapon you know Mm -hmm. which which is it and, and there's a little bit of an inconsistency there with, with his treatment. Um, I wouldn't say it's grossly uh, out of bounds, but no. it definitely it definitely doesn't make sense for the way Tony Stark kind of feels about and treats Spider-Man that, that he would just take a 15-year-old kid and throw him in the middle of this battle, even though he's got these spider powers. Right. Yep. I that, that, doesn't, that just doesn't ring 100% consistent. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, the thing that redeemed it is Tom Holland, to be quite honest. He played a young Peter Parker so well, in my opinion. And oh, yeah, that, I, that Civil War it. battle, mm -hmm. that Civil War battle is one of the best scenes for me, is just because the lines are so good, too. All right, I ran out of patience. On to Ruse! Nice job, kid. Thanks. Well, I could have stuck the landing a little better. It's just a new suit. Wait, it's nothing. Mr. Stark, it's, it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we don't really it's... need to start a conversation. Okay. Cap, Captain? Big fan of Spider-Man? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Just... Hey, everyone. Good job. Spider-Man takes Captain's shield, then Ant-Man grabs it and he goes, I believe this is yours, Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just Paul Rudd being so awesome as Ant-Man. And then just... The, the dialogue through all of it and mm -hmm. you know even even they're kind of you know you could almost say they're like dumb throwaway lines but i think they just work so well in that big action scene and barton's talking to black panther it's like hey i don't believe me you met i'm, yep. I'm you know <laughs> I, i'm i'm barton i don't care and yep. then hey remember that really old movie yep. empire strikes so back <laughs> how old is this kid i don't know i didn't carbon date him <laughs> He skews on the young side. Yeah. It's pretty funny. You know, that's all just such awesome. And then, of course, you know, from all that kind of levity and fun shenanigans and then Ant-Man getting really big. And then he even laughs when he's huge. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Like, that is <laughs> hilarious. Yep. And then, but then, of course, Vision's errant shot taking yep. Rhodey out. And then it's like, wow, now it just got real again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I will say in the Civil War comic, during that style battle, Giant Man is the one who dies. Giant Man gets a hole blown through his chest and he actually dies. Mm. And Giant Man is different than Ant-Man, but they made Ant-Man get giant in this mm -hmm. and he didn't die, but Rhodey got shot. But Rhodey didn't die. So I did feel like there was all of this buildup and that was, they made great stakes when Rhodey got shot and fell and it was so impactful. And then at the end, he's paralyzed, but can walk with Stark Tech. So I guess I can't say there were no stakes, but still because of Stark Tech, he's fine, question mark. I don't know. So there were some stakes. Yeah, but it's still the loss of life ups the stakes and not that i wanted to see roadie dice but sure it's like it to me it's a cop-out that you know the actor can walk so let's just make these legs that let him walk it so, it also is right yeah it's, it's loss without yeah. real without loss, loss but yeah. so that though 2016 so the, it was such a huge thing in 2015 for them to announce that spider-man was going to be in civil war and then they announced that spider-man was going to be a joint effort between Sony and Marvel. So Disney and Sony were coming together to create a film. And this is like unprecedented for something of this size. These two studios came together. Feige was able to work out some kind of crazy deal where we got to, we got the movie Spider-Man Homecoming where there is Iron Man as the mentor and Spider-Man as the mentee. And um, it's a bit 
odd because that's not really how the comics should go and they really made it a spider-man movie but it's an iron man movie so it's very it's a very weird feeling film that doesn't really feel like a spider-man movie but i think they did a good enough job with what they were trying to get to to bring him into the universe it's still not like in my top three spider-man movies but it's it's good enough that i i enjoyed it and tom holland plays the character so well that i i'm fine to go on that journey see i i, I disagree i i feel it it's a great spider-man movie because we are seeing this this kid who's like been exposed to this world and his eyes are just like huge and he can't wait for more and doesn't understand really what is at stake which again is where Tony just throwing him in the middle of an epic battle seems disingenuous to such concern about hey kid just keep your head down stay low you know after exposing him to all of that and then you know it's 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 sort of like you know when you used to have an assembly at school and they feel like all right everybody get happy yeah okay quiet down it's like you, you just told me to get happy like the you can't you know you can't jerk your emotions around like that and and i think that's so 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 i agree tony stark's presence there was probably more than you would have expected but i think it fit because even though i still feel it's a little uneven the lesson there is still kind of taught of without saying you know great power comes great responsibility i think we're seeing that in in peter already that he's 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 embracing the great power but he's not necessarily thinking of the responsibility and of course that's evident in sure. the whole uh staten island ferry incident and everything and um but uh and then yeah. of course he learns his lesson at the end right you know when he's like you're new, your newest avenger let's go and he's like nah i gotta be a kid for a little while that was a test, right? Yes, it was. And you passed. Good job. You know? Yeah. So it's and like... there's all, everybody there. Um, yeah. So I, it really I, wasn't a test, but he made it a test and he still ultimately passed, even though it really wasn't. Anyway, I, I feel like that all just kind of fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't disagree that it fits in the MCU. I just don't like that spider-man was like because i said remember this kid from my my youth i saw myself in him he was mm -hmm. his own hero he did everything himself he was smart he built his own web shooters he built his suit he built his tech in this movie tony gave him everything and he didn't have to do anything for himself and yeah he took it away and so he had to fight the vulture which great great uh, representation of the vulture by michael keaton oh yeah um, but Top he had notch. he had to then fight him on his own but it's still the presence of tony stark giving him and and like letting him kind of do his iron man spider-man thing instead of the spider-man spider-man thing just sits a little too heavy for me i see what you're saying yeah um, I, I get that i get that but I do like, I, I agree that I liked at the end where he said, I got to just do my thing. And that made me think that we were going to then see the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man as the second Spider-Man movie. But they didn't announce another Spider-Man movie for a couple more years, 
which meant that all this other stuff was going to happen in the MCU that Spider-Man was going to have to be a part of before he could even get down to Friendly Neighborhood, which they then took in a different direction. So 2017 was Spider-Man Homecoming, 2018 was Avengers Infinity War, 2019 was Avengers Endgame, and then two months after that was Spider-Man Far From Home. So um, that was the end of that phase of the MCU, showing the repercussions of Avengers Endgame. Instead of it making Spider-Man kind of fall into the role that he wanted to take after Homecoming, they take him around the world and take him to all these different places outside of his friendly neighborhood area. Mm-hmm. And so I I really didn't like this whole aspect of getting him away from home, fight Mysterio and, and you know, be up against yeah. everything that he was up against there. I mean, we did see him friendly neighborhooding it at the beginning of Homecoming where he's, you know, like stops the bike thief and... And then he inadvertently right. stops the guy who's breaking into his own car and everybody yells at him. Like, you you saw Friendly Neighborhooding, but I mean, how do you make a movie out of Friendly Neighborhooding without the stakes getting high somehow? You know what I mean? Like, you can only mm-hmm. get so many kittens out of a tree before... No, no, no. I, and I mean Friendly Neighborhooding by, like, let's see Spider-Man swinging around New York, taking care of a villain that is big enough just for Spider-Man, but seems like it's a little too much during the movie, and then he takes him down at the end. Going to all these different countries, getting his whole group of friends on a on a international field trip, just felt felt forced. I, and and yeah. I don't know, Spider-Man Spider-Man is in New York. Spider-Man isn't in Italy. Spider-Man isn't you know, monkey, whatever they called him. Uh because, you know, they said he was a different superhero in his black costume. Right. Um, well, I Spider think, though, or whatever. And, and maybe I'm just putting words into Marvel's mouth here, but I think they needed it to be on the world stage. So that way the reveal that Peter Parker is Spider-Man is felt everywhere and not just in New York City. You know what I mean? Like, this had to be, like, a universal, you know, truth bomb going off that couldn't be localized. Because, obviously, the world knows about the Avengers. The world knows, you know, Thanos and the blip and all of that. But but if Spider-Man would have just been revealed in New York City after a big battle in Times Square, you know, that's not really going to make the London paper, you know, not the headline anyway, you know, it's not going to be bold face news in Paris. So I think that's why they, but is it, is it bold face news? Because when we get to no way home, we don't see the world upset with Spider-Man. We see J Jonah Jameson online and it's everybody in New York. Well, sure. Because he lives in New York, but right. But did we, I don't know. I guess we didn't feel the impact of it being the world in the next film. So that's why I don't feel like it matters that it was the world. I see that. I guess I thought in my head it was global because the, because I keep showing the London bridge and, and everything that happened in Europe. And hence, I guess, again, I'm putting maybe words in Marvel's mouths or images. Marvel wanted us to imagine 
yes. in my own head, but that because it happened there that I'm picturing like European news being like, and that big thing, you know, even if it wasn't, you know, just London, you know, I'm sure yeah. Germany and them are talking about something that only happened a couple hours <laughs> from their place. Right. Right. You know, and Mysterio was killed by Spider-Man. I, I just felt, I felt it was global because it happened in Europe, even though, yes, when we get to No Way Home, it felt very localized. But again, I felt that was just because that's where we were now centering on him. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I understand why they wanted to do it. I, I do completely agree with what you're saying. I just don't think it was necessary for Spider-Man. But again, besides the point, Mysterio was the villain of Far From Home. I didn't really love him as the villain in Far From Home either. Um, I thought everything that he did. Of course, they're they're shoehorning a lot of Spider-Man's backstory into the MCU and making Tony Stark such a central part of it. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Mysterio, Quentin Beck used to work for him. And all of this tech that, that Mysterio uses is actually tech that was from Stark tech and... It is interesting in that we saw Tony use this technology to like show what he was dreaming of or what he was thinking of. And it showed like what in, in Iron Man 2 or it was the beginning of Civil War, whichever one it was where he's on stage and you see like him talking to his dad and it's the last time he talks to his parents. I guess it was Civil War, right? Because that whole thing tied together. But they, we then get this backstory that Jake Gyllenhaal's character of Quentin Beck created this technology with this other group of Stark employees that Tony Stark, I guess, slighted before he died. And so everybody right. that worked for Tony hated him and sided with Quentin. Well, I think that's too, obviously, to balance out the hero who just died for the world. And, you know, even heroes are not the perfect people, you know. Uh, it, who was it? Yeah. Is it Happy that tells Peter that? I think it's Happy yep. that says nobody was hard, harder on Tony than Tony. Yep. So anyway, I think that's, you know, especially for Spider-Man being such a fan of Tony Stark that. Yeah, that's his uncle. For him to just kind of learn that, right, learn that lesson. So I don't know. I, I mean, those are those are great points to get into the nitty gritty of it. But I guess in my viewing of homecoming and uh, far from home, I was just like, this was fun. This was cool. Mm-hmm. This, this is just a neat movie that, that again, feels, feels like it fits in the MCU and, and just has a, just a good all around feeling at the end of the day. And I'm not dismissing the, I, I guess, I guess I can let, your criticisms go because they don't inherently affect the plot heavily. You know what I mean? Like I don't see them as major plot holes as much as I see them as minor conveniences like Tony Stark and Stark tech. Geez, that's anything you need to happen anywhere in the world. How does it happen? Oh, cause Tony built it, right? He is their yeah. ace in the hole. Go to Stark tech. What is that? It's Stark tech. What is that? Oh, Tony Stark tech, you know? Yeah. So, or, or, or if, or if, or if it doesn't completely fit that Tony built it, Pim built it, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, they've got these two amazing 
you know, get out of jail free cards. Oh, Hank Pym could have built something that would have helped them there, right? Yep. Okay. That's true. It's true. You're right. You're right. I just, there's something about Spider-Man that it just. I get you. Because you so, feel it. You feel so it more. Iron Man focused. Yeah. 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 I understand. Because you're, you're, like you said, you're the kid who wants more of your, what you saw in the original comics and the childhood stuff. Whereas me, passing interest, this is just really neat. Yeah, for me. Yep, and it's they're they're fine. Like the visuals in Far From Home are really cool. It's just the story that gets me kind of in a knot. But mm-hmm. Far From Home leads directly into No Way Home. So 2019 Far From Home, 2021 No Way Home, and where Far From Home ends, No Way Home picks up at the exact moment where Spider-Man is swinging through New York with MJ and the world is told by J. Jonah Jameson, who has the Daily Bugle online, um, that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And so now everybody in New York that sees this right when he's, he's standing right there starts to turn on him. And so he picks up MJ, he starts swinging away uh, and to get her back to Queens to safety. And that's kind of No Way Home just kind of jumps right in. Did you see Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was definitely, as soon as I saw the trailer, was something I had to see in the in the theater. I had to see it right away because I just felt like this was going to be a movie that was going to be way too spoiler heavy. And I mm-hmm. didn't want anything to get ruined. I wanted to see it straight away. Yeah. So, yeah, there were so I went many... as soon as I could. So many unconfirmed leaks, so many um, so many things that we all knew were going to be spoilers, but we all wanted to see it for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very interesting uh, way in which I saw the film. Uh, since I work for the Walt Disney Studios, I was invited to see a screening of it back at the end of October. So I saw Spider-Man No Way Home two months early, or about you know, six weeks early. And um, I saw it with unfinished special effects. And it was like in this, this theater on the Walt Disney Studios lot in Burbank, where we all had to put our phones in little pouches. And even like my Apple Watch, I had to put in a pouch, nothing could be on that could record, or we could take pictures of anything or anything like that. It was very, very cool to be part of it. And to see this film really before anybody else um but it wasn't complete the music wasn't the final music through the whole thing in in most of it it was but not everywhere the visual like i said the visual effects weren't completely done Mm -hmm. so there were some scenes where it was just um still the rendering of what was going to happen without it actually being finished um and then the very end of the film there, I guess there was a scene they were reshooting or, or still editing, and it was Happy and Tom talking to each other at a gravesite, and it was just pictures of them at the gravesite, and then their lines were ADR over the photo. Mm. So it was very, it was very, very interesting. And then there was no post credits. There was nothing mm-hmm. after that gravesite scene. Well, there was something after the gravesite. So when he goes to the coffee shop, but it ended there. So. I didn't see some things that happen at the end of the film 
that I didn't know happened. Um, and so everybody went to the theaters to see this. I didn't. I still haven't seen it in theaters because COVID surged just too much here in California for me to feel comfortable with a wife that is, you know, weeks away from giving birth. So I never went and saw it in the theaters since that one experience in October. What I did do, though, is I found a quote-unquote version online that I could watch from the comfort of my own home. But yeah, let's let's dive in because this film is, it truly is a Spider-Man epic. Mm-hmm. And it had that feel from start to finish. Well, yeah, it, it picked up right where it was supposed to. Um, it kind of gave you the gravity of the situation. And then it... Uh, and then it gave you, you know, here's what we're going to do. He's going to go see Dr. Strange and Dr. Strange is going to help him out. Um, I, again, talking about the uneven tone of Tony Stark and the way he treats Peter, I feel there's a very unevenness between Dr. Strange and Peter as well. Like the entire way the spell gets screwed up and everything like Mm -hmm. Dr. Strange I know he doesn't have the time stone anymore, but he has all the time in the world to do this right. Yeah. (laughs) Like he just immediately dives into starting the spell while he's still talking to Peter. Like, first of all, if has some probing questions, he shouldn't have had. Yeah. He shouldn't have Peter in the room for such a delicate spell. He, he should have. Yeah. Asked some better questions. Like, okay, now if I do this, Everybody forgets that you are Spider-Man. Got it? Because it only took Peter like three seconds when he started to spell to go, oh, wait, but so-and-so should know. Yeah. Like if he MJ, sat him Ned, down in a room, take it, take an hour, right? Like all this stuff mm-hmm. would occur to him. He's like, I'm going to forget you're Spider-Man, Peter. And then he'd be like, oh, well, does that mean all the Avengers will forget too? Yeah. Nobody will remember that you are Spider-Man. Now, mm-hmm. again, Doctor Strange would have to tell him, unless you tell us. Right. Like, if you came back here tomorrow in your Spider-Man costume, like, <laughs> I'll still know there's a Spider-Man. I'll still know there's a Peter Parker. But I won't know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So tomorrow, if you showed up here as Spider-Man, I'll be like, oh, hey, it's Spider-Man. It's the guy from uh, all our big battles. And then you take off your mask. I'm going to be like, Peter, no kidding. And then you can even tell me, yeah, you made a spell. I did? Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, yeah. like, he could walk him through the scenarios on how this is going to work. Instead, he just takes him down to where an episode of uh, The Equalizer <laughs> was filmed. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, um, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's where I, I guess I'm going to throw a flag on Doctor Strange's whole approach to this because then he goes, "You had me do that, and you didn't even ask the cop. Why didn't he say like, oh man, it's too bad.' Like you 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 asked them again. Oh no, I didn't. Like yeah, it, it's just and then and then later on in the film he's mad at him, but then at the end he's like sad that oh he's making this big sacrifice and goodbye Peter and it's like what you're too up and down with this. Like, why weren't you the adult in the room to start with? That is a great question. And I, I don't disagree. I think there should have been more information given by strange and Tom should have thought it through 
a little bit more. But it, it's it was because I think they rushed it because first off, we know Doctor Strange is Stephen Strange in general is just impulsive and doesn't really think before he acts. Even though he used to have a time stone where he could look through all these different possibilities, he doesn't anymore, so he's impractical. But Peter went to him to see if he could reverse time. As soon as he couldn't reverse time, they should have reset. But no, it was Dr. Strange saying, well, actually, we have this spell, and it could do this. Yeah, let's go do it. Right. But yeah, I agree. Just probing questions. That's all you got to do. And and I get it, because like... You know, what, what what we just said there, you know, it's like, oh, you do that and there's no movie. And that's fine, right? I understand we still have to have the movie, but I didn't love that it had a sitcom-y kind of, mm-hmm. I found a magic box. Oh, shouldn't we read the instructions? Nah, it's a magic <laughs> box. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. You know, it just shouldn't have had that feel to it. But overlooked enough. Because, again, this has to happen somehow, and we're already talking about time travel and forgetting and multiverses and et cetera, et cetera, which is all, you know, made up stuff anyway, or is it? Or is it? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so, like, let's just get there. And then from then on, like, I'm in. I didn't even get hung up on it. I really didn't. Yeah. It's just, in in retrospect, I just felt like the, there was a real, damn it, Peter, what's wrong with you? Oh, I forget you're a kid. Peter, you screwed this all up. Fix it. Oh, boy. Sorry, kid. <laughs> it's like, what the, you know, get get yep. you on some kind of mood evening medication <laughs> that just kind of evens you out, man. You're like up and down. You're all over the place. Yep. Jeez. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. So the thing I will say, and we'll wrap back around to it at the end, is that when I saw this in in the theater, at the Burbank lot, it was because they want feedback. They wanted audience feedback because they were still going to do a few days of reshoots here in, in LA. And they really needed to decide based on all these focus groups they were doing for the film, what needed to change or what was good enough to stay. And I don't know exactly what was reshot because they did do one single day of reshoots after I saw it. And I'm positive my feedback didn't get put in the film because nothing that that I said changed. But I wonder what did change. I gave a lot of feedback and I really watched the movie with a critic's eye or or a, a fan and a critic's eye. And one of the things I wrote down was about how quick that sequence took. It was, we're going to do, you come to see me, we're going to do this spell, the spell goes wrong. It's all within minutes to just Mm -hmm. like, there's all this exposition set up in a matter of three and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that we don't need more explanation, but a little more breathing room in that scene might make it a little easier to to follow. They should have really taken a beat. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I I loved this movie. It was so, so good. And I understand you got to get there somehow. How do you get this going? Mm-hmm. It just it just had a bit of a cartoony feel to it, and you could have had maybe a more organic, right. quote unquote, realistic way for it to get screwed up. 
uh, I still don't completely understand how the spell switched. So it was to get everybody to forget him, but in him screwing things up, or Peter making him screw things up, it brought everyone who knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man to their universe? Oh, no, no, no. He shut it down. And then he does say later, a few managed to slip through. Okay. All right. So yeah, I, missed, I, I think I missed the a few. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow that. That how come, you know, there are so many more people? Well, it's because he shut the spell down, but he wasn't able to like, like at the end when you see all those cracks in the sky. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's when certain ones fell through that crack or stepped through that crack. But then he was able to vroom, shut it down before Franco could turn around and, you know, step through. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it's. It's weird that they pick and choose, you know, but I guess it's not weird that they pick and choose. They get some good actors and some not good actors to come back and play characters. So talking through that, now he stops the spell. He gets it contained. He puts it in this little box. And well, I think the characters they chose were to specifically redeem, mm-hmm. you know, Toby and Andrew's Spider-Man and yeah, give yes and no. Peter. Because to redeem Andrew's, you needed his, his green goblin. Um, the lizard had no effect on redeeming him on redemption. It's really just to redeem the, the lizard character, Reese Fons, or however you say his name. Um, a Toby's yes. Those two villains were so instrumental in his backstory. I agree. But Sandman. No, <laughs> Sandman didn't matter. Well, Sandman, of course not. He came through because uh, you needed him for the the story. But did you? Here's where, so let's talk about all the villains that, that come through, because I do have questions about why there are two of them even in the film. So we get a sequence, um, you know, they, we find out they've, villains have come through because Peter is going to try to get MJ and Ned into school. And so he tries to meet the recruiter from MIT. And it just so happens that in that exact moment, Doc Ock comes out from under a bridge and he tries to fight Peter in this really awesome battle sequence of Mm -hmm. Peter fighting Doc Ock and Doc Ock thinking it is his Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool when we see that it's not in the questions that he has. And then the, the, the way that Peter can then control the arms because he takes on some of the, some of the Stark tech. It's just very, Mm -hmm. very well done. It's a really good um, action sequence. So Ak is here. Green Goblin throws a pumpkin bomb, but then, Right when the pumpkin bomb is exploding, um, Doctor Strange brings Doc Ock and he back to the sanctuary or sanctum, excuse me, sanctum sanctorum. So that's when we then get the follow up that there's some villains that have made it through. We have Doc Ock. We have this other goblin guy. Who else is there? So Lizard. Electro comes through. Lizard comes through. 
and Sandman comes through. And that's it. There's five of them. So they had an opportunity to do, to do a Sinister Six, but they didn't. So Peter is then tasked with the charge to go and get all of these villains and bring them back to the Sanctum so that Doctor Strange can then send them all home to their universes. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and another cool action scene with Electro and Sandman somehow is there at the same time. And I think it's really cool in that they make Electro yellow and they turn Max Dillon into like who Max Dillon should have been in the Andrew Garfield films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, I think they do it really well. They, they explain it really well that different universe, different energy. He's not blue anymore. He's yellow because of the energy in this universe. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, why is Sandman there? Why then is Lizard there? Lizard's already captured, right? When this all happens. So he's not doing anything. Right. Um, it's just, they're, they're there just to be there. Those well, two characters. Fine, though. Yeah, but you gotta have some people, you know, you can't have everybody have a story. Otherwise your movie's going to be five hours long. Well, right, right. Also, I, so think I, guess... you choose, I think you choose certain villains because again, if you wanted Electro there, look at their composition. You know, Electro is certainly a high stakes villain in that sense. Now, as far as a relationship goes, is he like a real core character? No, but I mean, he's certainly a very, very powerful villain. You get electricity mm-hmm. and he takes over. That's that's crazy. And especially now with Tony Stark's arc reactor power, you've, you've, you've just got a lot at stake with that. Plus, Electro can fly around and move fast. Sandman, yeah. same thing. He can zoom, zoom, disappear, and he can move around really fast. Lizard, he's an animal, basically. Boom, boom. He can move really fast and jump. So I think you're not just looking at the villains that give the emotional impact, which I think you had, but I think you're also looking at some dynamic, actiony villains that can pop around. I agree. The problem here's so getting to it. Once he realizes what Doctor Strange is going to do to send all the villains back to die, Aunt May, right, who's his emotional core in these movies, tries to reason with him that these people all deserve second chances, which is what her her whole deal is in the comics when they, they bring her into the whole feast thing, which they had in this movie, which was good. She's all about second chances. So she's taught Peter about second chances. So Peter believes that they can be redeemed. As Zangief in Wreck-It Ralph said it best, you are bad guy, but this does not mean you are bad guy. So let's see if we can cure them and help them so that when they go back, maybe they won't die. Maybe they'll be redeemed. Maybe they can do something different. It's this great scene then where Strange is going to push the button. He stops him. They go into the mirror dimension, which is a cool callback to the, mm-hmm. the Doctor Strange movie. And I think it it was kind of neat, in in my opinion, to see Peter figure out that the mirror dimension is all geometry. And he is a big nerd and he's good at geometry. Mm-hmm. So he figures out how to stop Strange based on how the mirror dimension is interacting with itself i thought that was very cool but they just needed a way to sideline strange for the movie so that the movie could happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's what they did is they had this awesome scene and then peter webbed him up and took the box and his ring thing so that strange is now gone for three quarters of the movie in the screening that i saw 
the mirror dimension, a lot of it was still CGI. So I didn't get the full impact of what it looked like until I saw it at home. And it was very, very cool. It was way cooler than I thought. In in the feedback that I wrote down was that the mirror dimension scene was too long. There was mm-hmm. too much happening in it. Yeah. And it needed to be cut down. And so I don't know how you felt when you saw it in theaters, but when I saw it without full CGI, that that was the feeling that I got. Yeah, just kind of that. Like it was neat. It looked cool. But we're already living in a world where we've been impressed with this before. Oh, right, right. <laughs> and ultimately, we know Peter's going to come out of this on top because we're only halfway through the film. Yeah. So, so clearly, and yes, like you said, it's so we could trap Doctor Strange there and the movie can happen. So, yeah. But, but it looked, it definitely looked cool, but it looked cool for sure. For yeah. sure. It, it just, you just, um, you just knew where it was going. Yeah. Yeah. The out of body experience too, when he pushed Peter out of his, out of his body into the astral zone, that was, that was pretty cool. That was um, cool. There was just a lot of cool sequences, but I guess the point I'm trying to get to is that he traps Strange there. And then goes to save all of these villains. And it's like this weird, odd couple like big odd couple kind of moment where all these bad guys are coming and they have to trust him. They are brought to Happy's apartment where May and Peter are going to give them some kind of serum or, or give them something that will make them turn good somehow. Mm-hmm. And technology, I guess, is an amazing thing in this universe. And I just, I have a really hard time believing and understanding the the reason that that Sandman does what he does, he's there talking to Peter. He wants to go back and see his daughter. And I just don't understand his motivation when shit hits the fan and Goblin comes out and is actually Goblin. Electro says he doesn't want to be healed. He wants to stay with this new power in the arc reactor. What is Sandman's reasoning for running away? Why doesn't he try to help Peter? What what is his motivation for fighting again then later at the end of the movie? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you're right. He just wants to go home again. But I I I don't think that inherently Sandman doesn't bother me because it's not integral to the plot at all, as much as it's just another villain to deal with. And, and he also represents a, more than any of the other ones, a non-villain villain, really. Because he was kind of just a petty criminal turned into Sandman, but really he just, he cared about his daughter. He had proper motivations for doing the things he did, taking care of a sick kid. You know what I mean? We had like a whole Les Mis situation with him, right? Right, right. You know, so bad things for good reasons. So... I think more than anything, that's what he sort of represents. I agree completely his motivations should have been more uh, like when things hit the fan, like, wait a minute, but you're still going to get me home, right? I still got to need to see my daughter, right? So Yeah, it's like all that went out the window as soon as Electro blew the window out or or the Goblin blew the window out or whatever it was. He just... Flies out the window in but his I, little sandstorm. Right. That was one of my big pieces of feedback that I wrote. What is his motivation for running away? And then what is his motivation for fighting at the end? I see that. Yeah. Again, inherently, it doesn't affect the plot too much. But I would say he probably just got caught up again in, you know, he's a man who's 
half sand now. That's got to do something to your head. And you probably don't think too straight, right? Like this is freaky stuff. And then ultimately, though, he does sort of get probably the happiest ending out of all the villains because he's cured now and he can go back to his time and not have to have this sand affliction screwing with his mind. You know? Because he didn't die in the third one, right? Right, right. They're all going back to a time. They're basically healed or not. Doc Ock, the last thing he remembered was going underwater. So I don't know how being nicer now is going to save him going underwater where he's drowned because he's chained to that big machine sinking him to the right. bottom. Right, right. So, and if, if, if Goblin goes back right to before he gets impaled, the, the glider's still going to impale him. I don't know. Yeah. But again, the point isn't, I don't think, you know, that everybody gets a happy ending per se, but right. I think it's just doing good because good is what you're supposed to do. Speaking of what you're supposed to do in a Spider-Man movie, there needs to be a major loss for the Peter Parker character. We do get that when we find out Goblin was still hiding behind Norman the whole time. And in what's another emotional scene in an emotionally charged and packed movie, the Green Goblin kills Aunt May. She gets hit by the glider, stabbed, and blown up. She tells Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Thus, completing the arc we've needed for Peter in this film series, where a family member dies and tells him that. We haven't touched on the fact yet that this is the franchise that flipped it. We watched three movies Mm -hmm. and then had the big death. Whereas the other movies, you get it first because everybody is like, well, that's what makes Spider-Man. Well, sort of what we've been watching is almost prologue to Spider-Man and then the Mm -hmm. death. And now, now we might start seeing that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man you've been talking about. Yep. And... Anyway, which I, I think that all just, which is what that all what happens, right? Right. Which that is what happens, and that's a scene that wasn't in the cut that I saw in in the the screening. There was nothing after Spidey or after Peter Parker got his apartment. So to jump through to the very end, Peter gets his apartment, and then we see him go out in a new costume that he's made himself, swinging right. around the city. In the version that I saw, he got his apartment. And the movie ended right there. So when I watched it at home, I heard, you know, I got the spoilers of everything that, oh, his new costume looks great. So when I watched it at home, I saw it. And yeah, it looks, it's very true to Spider-Man comics. And he, um, he does start swinging around completely as the Spider-Man we're supposed to now know and love. So I'm I'm excited for them to make more movies with this Spider-Man because he now has no Stark tech. Nobody knows who he is. He has no connections to people. So we're kind of, you're right, we're now at the point where I wanted to be at the beginning. And it was an interesting road to get here. I loved it though. That, that, yeah. that I can ultimately say is I love the, I, I'll call it a reverse arc, mm-hmm. even though it's, like I said, it's more of a prologue arc before you even get to his like true Spider-Man self. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but I really, I really enjoyed that. But since we're talking about it and we kind of already touched on Dr. Strange and not like sitting down for even 15 minutes and reasoning this out with Peter, but what, what are we looking at now with Peter? He goes out, he has no connections. 
Now, the thing is, everybody has now forgotten that Peter Parker has ever, ever existed. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man still exists. So right. everybody that lived through Infinity War, Endgame, in one fashion or another, got blipped, didn't get blipped. Either way, Thor remembers being on that battlefield, facing down Thanos and Spider-Man, this guy with these webs dressed in a red and blue costume, slinging all over the place. Pepper Potts remembers there was a guy in a red suit swinging around, but she Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily remember that once Tony snapped his fingers and everything went back to normal, that a boy named Peter kneeled before him and was like, Tony, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark. And she kind of gently moved him aside. Right. That she doesn't know. However, and this is where I've just theorizing just you know what do you think she does remember spider-man so peter even though he is disassociated with everybody could go walking into the sanctorum and doctor in the spider-man costume and doctor strange will be like whoa you're that spider guy i remember you you're in the battles with us i remember you yep and then he takes off the costume and he's like oh oh this is the real you What's your name? I'm Peter Parker. So Peter can almost get some of that relationship back with those yeah. people pretty right. quickly. So he's not necessarily alone, right? Am I am I right on that in this thinking? You are right on that. Okay. Yes, so that's correct. All right. So it it is it's 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 bleak in the sense that he can't he can't just do that with MJ because MJ's relationship was with Peter, not with Spider-Man. But anybody right. who knew right. Spider-Man he can he can go reacquaint with them even though there's still going to be those couple little gappy parts, you know? Yep, exactly. What I find interesting about how the movie ended is that, yeah, it's resetting him to be the hero he's supposed to become. But we talk about the spell. Again, the spell was for everybody to forget who Peter Parker was so that everything goes back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. So when no, 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 the original spell was that everybody forgets Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. But now it's everybody forgets who Peter Parker is. The Peter Parker exists. Yes. Yes. Right. So when he's doing this, when he's casting the spell, it's across the multiverse, right? It's the way that he's repairing the multiverse. Mm -hmm. So doesn't that mean when Toby goes back, Mary Jane won't know who he is? Wow. Like, I think it's okay that some of the villains won't know who he is. And and everybody else, I think, that we know from Toby's universe is dead. But he would lose, because he even said, Mary Jane, he's got like this, you know, it's complicated, but he has someone when he was talking to Andrew Garfield. Right. So now wouldn't MJ not know who he is? And Andrew Garfield is a loner, so it doesn't matter for him to go back. I guess, yeah. Toby goes back, and nobody knows who Peter Parker is. And now he's in a world without magic. So he doesn't just have a a Doctor Strange to go running to. Right. And Hmm, we will never see Toby again. But that was something that I thought at the end of the movie. I was like, what? This was repairing the entire multiverse. This wasn't just repairing the spell. So... This means that when he goes back, Green Goblin 
you know, he's going to forget Doc Ock. He's going to forget, but Mary Jane's going to forget. Or is it possible it's deliberately and solely linked to this universe's Peter Parker that everybody forgets this Peter Parker ever existed and that can still repair other multiverses. But in those other multiverses, they still know that Peter Parker exists, but it's like, yeah, it's like a root. I don't know. It's a great, great question. Cause see, I didn't even think about that aspect of it about because Mm -hmm. Dr. Strange doesn't say like, and every other Peter Parker right, in right. every other universe never existed either. So like basically you single individual but, Peter Parker are now ruining every other Peter Parker everywhere. Well, but isn't the whole reason these multiversal villains and other Peters got through because they knew who Peter was and that's how the spell broke the fabric of the multiverse is because spell was being cast and then it pulled people in who knew who Peter was. So the only way to repair it is to remove Peter from their memories. But maybe again, like I said, remove that Peter. Yeah, but they didn't know that Peter when they came through, but as the magnet, as the magnet. Okay. Hmm. Like we're removing that single magnet and then everybody else just pops back to where they, they came from. Okay. Okay. I think that, that you know could what be I mean? an explanation like, I can I can agree with. Like they're being drawn to him. They're not just being drawn to every Spider-Man. They're not being drawn to Toby or Andrew. Mm-hmm. They're being drawn to Tom Holland as a magnet. I think right. Doctor Strange is taking away the magnetic pull and everybody just bounces back to where they came from and then everything goes back to normal in those universes and in our universe or however you mm-hmm. want to say it. Tom Holland's Peter Parker universe, the major thing is now there is no Peter Parker. So the magnet stopped pulling everything. Right. Okay. That, that I can, I can take that explanation. That makes sense. That makes sense. But it's a good point. Like I didn't even think about that initially. My first thought was, well, how does he, you know, you're right. I was just thinking the the spell broke. Yeah, I was just thinking the spell broke and the way it broke is that anybody who knew who Peter was came through that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, not, not this Peter, but anybody who knew the name Peter Parker and Spider-Man are synonymous broke through. And so to fix the spell, you'd have to take that away from everybody. But, but I guess it makes sense because he's doing it in this universe and it was this Peter Parker that he's the magnet pulling. So, right. Because they're being all drawn into one single universe. Yeah. Whereas they already had a Peter Parker in their universe, so they'd be drawn, they'd already have him, mm-hmm. but they're being drawn to Tom Holland. So yep. he stopped that. So now everybody just bounces back and they get their own Spider-Man, whoever that is, or if there even is one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay, anyway. that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Peter goes off on his own because he's just suffered this loss and he's upset. Um, but MJ and Ned were tasked with keeping the box safe. And Ned is finding out that he's a wizard. So he opens some portals that lead Peter Parker to them. And this is where we get the big reveal, which just since this is the sixth highest grossing film of all time, 
every movie theater in the world exclaimed when this scene happened, I'm sure. I just wish we could see Peter. Whoa. you're right. I am magic. Is that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be. Hey, Peter! Peter! Hey, Peter! Peter! Yeah. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Okay. Who the hell are you? I'm Peter Parker. It's not possible. I am Spider-Man in my world. But then yesterday, I was... I, I was just here. Wow. String theory. Multidimensional reality. And matter displacement. All real? Yeah. Ah, never it. This has to be because of the spell. The spell? Like magic spell? No, there's no spell. No, sir. No. Magic's real here, too? I mean... Shut up. No, it's not real. Shut up. I mean, there's magicians stop, and stuff, but there's stop, no, like... Stop. Stop. Prove it. Prove what? That you're Peter Parker. I don't carry an ID with me, you know. It kind of defeats the whole anonymous superhero thing. Trying to see if you have the tingle thing. I have the tingle thing, just not for bread. Can you not throw the, the bread again? You're a deeply mistrusting person, and I respect it. Crawl around. Crawl around? Yes. No. Yes, crawl around. Why do I need to crawl around? Because this is not enough. This is plenty. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It is. No. How do I stick to the ceiling? Do it. Ned, sabihin mo dyan sa mamang yan na alisin yung agaw sa sulok. Ha? My Lola's asking if you could just get the cobweb there. Since you're like up there. Yeah. Thank you. We good? We good? For now. So, I opened the wrong portal to the wrong Peter Parker. Yeah, I, I guess you just keep doing it until we find the real one. Ouch. No offense. Okay. Okay, you got it. Find Peter Parker. What's the thing on his hand? Find Peter Parker. Find Peter Parker! Great, it's just some random guy. Hello. Um, I hope it's okay. I just came through this. Uh... Oh, just closed. You're Peter. Yeah, Peter Parker. I I've seen you too. Hi. <laughs> Wait, he's he's not your friend. Huh. 
wait, so you're Spider-Man too? Why didn't you just say that? I generally don't go around advertising it. Kind of defeats the whole anonymous superhero thing. That's what he just said. My Lola's asking if you could clean up the webs you just shot. Oh, sorry, Lola. Yes, of course. I'm going to bed. Night, Lola. Good night, Ned Lola. Uh, this might seem kind of weird, but I've been trying to find your friend ever since I got here. I just have this sense that that he needs my help. Our help. He does. We don't know where he is. And um, honestly, right now we're all he really has left. Well, uh, is there some place? that he might go that has meaning to him. Like a, a, a place where he would go to just... Get away from everything? For me, it was the top of the Chrysler building. Empire State. It's a better view. That is a sweet view. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think I know exactly where that would be. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. I mean, I was pretty sure it was going to happen um since we'd already seen the villains it's like well we got to see one or the other and then as soon as they're like i want to see peter i'm like oh cool we're gonna see toby Maguire or andrew mm -hmm. garfield so yeah and then you see andrew first and then toby second so and yeah it was that was really cool our theater there was no gasping or applauding or anything everybody just was kind of like chill about it mm -hmm. um but yeah, it was uh, it was really really neat. I, yeah, I thought I, it was yeah super cool. It was I, I I don't know exactly how I should say this, but it was kind of cathartic mm -hmm. for me because Spider Man in two thousand two and Spider Man two in two thousand four left such an impression on my superhero movie, like my superhero movie upbringing, if you will. Mm -hmm. Even I was when, even though I was already. 20 or maybe 21 when spider-man came out in 2002 seeing toby Maguire as peter parker in 2002 left this huge impact on me and seeing him walk through a portal again to be spider-man in this movie in 2021 it hit me exactly the same way i i i am not ashamed to say like my nerd level was at an 11 and I was so, so happy <laughs> that we were getting this on film. Something that, you know, nobody would ever have imagined could happen was happening before our eyes. And as much as Andrew Garfield's movies get the, uh, get like the negative reception, he was such a good Spider-Man and such a good Peter Parker. And with him coming through the portal first and then having the funny banter back and forth where MJ's throwing bread at him and then he has to go up and crawl on the ceiling and Ned's grandma asks him to get the spider web off the side of the the okay. other side of the, the ceiling. Like it was all so funny and felt like such a Peter Parker banter. I I absolutely loved it. And then when Toby stepped through, it was like again that feeling just welled up inside me. And I just seeing the two of them talk to each other, shoot webs at each other, it was just awesome. And then we get them to go and 
see Peter and talk to Peter. And that's that image of them on top of the school in the moonlight. It's a beautiful segment where they are talking about the line of great power and great responsibility, and they all know it, and they've all heard it. And to them, they say it was their Uncle Ben's, and he says it was his Aunt May, and like this emotional, way more emotional than I expected to be in a Spider-Man movie moment. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was supercharged Mm -hmm. by the fact that this original Spider-Man I saw on screen, and then this other really good Spider-Man that was in just bad movies, but was a good Spider-Man, was on screen with this new really good Spider-Man. I just like, I welled up like the chills. I, I felt chills through like the whole rest of this movie. You're touching on something great here though, which is the fact that people will say this movie has a lot of fan service by doing what Mm -hmm. they did. The way I look at it though, is fan service to me is just doing something for lack of a better word, kind of cheesy just because people want to see it. The fact that you were like welling up at the emotion in this movie to me represents kind of the opposite of fan service, which is Mm -hmm. to give you characters who are genuinely integral to the plot, who have a thick amount of script. They have a lot of lines. They've got a lot of depth. And you get even more depth of character from these Like you get more Tobey Maguire. Because he's able to heal Osborne and make the decision not to kill. You get more Andrew Garfield because he saves MJ and has that mm-hmm. spectacular moment. So so I think anybody who says, oh, this is fan service, but it's not fan service when it's when it's done like this. It's it's got depth, it's got gravity. And that's why I really, really like this movie because it doesn't just throw in a bunch of villains for no real reason, you know, oh, hey, wasn't it neat mm-hmm. that we did this? And there's right, no, right. but no, there's so much gravity. You you get more of a conclusion yeah. to both Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield's uh, movie. I was going to say trilogies, but Andrew didn't quite get a trilogy. Uh, you, you get conclusion, you get, you get uh, closure. I agree. They definitely did it with love and care. And you could tell they knew the stakes of if they did it wrong. Yes. You could feel it. For sure. And that's why I think it was so emotionally impactful when they had that scene of first meeting. And then they move into the lab to try to cure everyone. And it is like the Peters being the Peters. Mm -hmm. And they're all working together and talking to each other. And it's, it's the element of Peter Parker that we saw from each of their films in this film. It's not just like glossing over, oh, these guys were, were good at science. They actually are working together on something. We even get the pointing meme in that sequence at the lab. Andrew Garfield said he pitched how to do it, and they had Ned say Peter, and they all kind of looked up and answered yes and then pointed at each other, and it's that meme come to life in this movie. And then when they get up to the Statue of Liberty, which just shows that it's a different universe because it's bronze and they're putting Mm -hmm. a Captain America shield on it, Mm -hmm. um, it's this amazing heartwarming scene of the three of them connecting and Andrew Garfield steals the show in every scene. When the three of them are together, he Mm -hmm. is stealing the show. He tells them like he asks them questions. He's down on himself. And then Toby has to tell him, no, you're amazing. And like, 
it's a funny nod because his movies were called the amazing spider-man which is like a cute ton and tongue-in-cheek moment and when they all hug and he's like i love you guys it's like it's so fun and funny and true to their characters that mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. i i'm gushing now because i loved every second of it again like you said they knew what would happen if they just rushed to let's do a whole bunch of peter parker hanging out together jokes but no they gave us that rooftop scene where they all really felt you know you felt the soul of each one of them that's what i mean it's like i feel like this movie like for all practical purposes is the fourth toby Maguire movie and the yeah. third andrew garfield movie as much yeah. as it's the third agreed. tom holland movie agreed because it all wrapped up so well for them and they all grew they all changed they i think they're different i don't think they are different people than they were when when the movie started and that's that's something that fan service doesn't do. Fan service, there's no changing, right. there's no depth, there's no growth. Right. Fan service is just look pretty, huh? Funny, right? This this had way way more impact than than something like that. But okay. but yeah, yeah. I I, lo- yeah. I love that scene. Yeah, where they're all goofing around, and so I saw it in the theater twice, which mm-hmm. I've only seen four movies in the theater since the pandemic, and and <laughs> this one I saw twice. Wow. <laughs> See, that's my superhero fatigue. I'm I'm past it. <laughs> yep, obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> but but so after I saw it the first time, I went home and I read everything I could because I did not read anything beforehand. I didn't want to. And one thing that I read that was funny, you probably already know this or saw it, is uh that line where Toby's like, Ah, oh, my back, and then Andrew yep. cracks his back, and it's because Toby almost didn't do Spider-Man 2 because of his back, and I didn't get that the first time. Yeah, I didn't get that the first time through. That one went over my head, and then and then I read that, and I'm like, oh, that makes that so much funnier, and then when they... Mm -hmm. And then, of course, just the jokey jokes about who they fought before. It's like, I fought an alien. I fought an alien in space. Oh, I just fought a Russian guy in a rhino suit. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. And then uh, when Tom Holland is like, I, you know, I don't want to brag, but I'm part of the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> their re- their reactions were so good. They were like, oh, right. so cool. What is that? That's just. Yeah. What is that? A band? It's, it's so funny. It's so funny because you're, you're right. There's no mention of any of these other characters in any of these other movie universes. Yeah. The only thing we had is in Tobey Maguire's. Um, there's a villain that's come out i think it's spider-man 2 where the daily bugle is trying to figure out what their name would be and one guy says dr strange well it was for dr octopus like dr strange and um j jonah jameson says i love it but it's already taken Mm. that's the only hint we get to a larger universe of heroes Mm -hmm. in those other films so it's funny to say that they don't know what the avengers are because on their universes they're not there. <laughs> right. Uh, it was good. The three of them just interacting together, the chemistry they each had was so beautiful. And the team that worked on the CGI, they had everything perfect as well. From all of the swings, all the poses that the Spider-Men make, mm-hmm. it's all perfect. And what I read is that they built, they rebuilt Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man CGI from scratch. They just looked at the old versions and then built it up from the bottom. 
and they did an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, it looked great. I love I will I I love the sequence when they're they finally are like, "All right, I'm the only one that's worked with a team, so I'm going to be Peter 1, you're Peter 2, you're Peter 3." And then he says, "We're going to attack this as a team." And once they do that, they start swinging together. They're swinging off of each other's webs. It's just it was so cool and something I never thought I'd see in live action. It's perfectly, perfectly well well done. Mm-hmm. So the all the villains come to the Statue of Liberty to fight. And again, I don't know why Sandman is coming to fight, but all these villains want the box. Now, now Sandman, sure. Well, and you know what? That's That's maybe a motivation for Sandman because if you hit the button on the box, everybody goes home. So that's why Sandman probably sh- showed up because he he wants to get that box and hit the button. Yeah. So that's okay, right? Because hitting the button sends them all home. Sandman would mm-hmm. show up, and again, his motivation should be to help <clears throat> Spider-Man get the box, or they already have it, but like protect the box. But mm-hmm. he would want the button to be pushed because he wants to go home. Electro wants to show up to destroy the box so he doesn't go right. home. So he doesn't go home. That makes sense. And Lizard. So- Lizard is just, I don't know. He's just there. <laughs> he's kind of just there. Even more than Sandman, I think. I think he just kind of is just in the movie to just be another villain. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, No, no. He, he doesn't not. have to have this incredible story. But but I think I think Lizard is just, he, his brain's all screwed up, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. So he's, is. he's evil for evil's sake. And then... Uh, Obviously, Osborne just wants it blown up, and then, uh, of course, Doc mm-hmm. Ock is uh, is cured now. So, right, he obviously shows right. up to be a, an aide. Yeah, which was good because you when he appeared, you didn't know which way it was going to go. You know, I hoped he was good and he was going to be there to help, but. You, you just don't know what the motivation or what's going to happen or what we didn't see off screen. So I'm glad he was there to help. Something that just gutted me is when Doc Ock saw his Peter Parker and said, Peter, my boy, how have you been? And Toby's Peter responded just like he did in his film in 2004, trying to do better. It killed me. They, uh, they have this epic battle around the Statue of Liberty and Goblin comes and everything goes haywire. Mm-hmm. MJ falling. It was a beautiful redemption for Andrew Garfield that he was able to catch MJ. He had his moment where, where he had tears. The Are You Okay's was hilarious and great and mm-hmm. emotionally impactful. And then Toby's Spider-Man had his moment with Norman slash Goblin. Yeah. Because he could have let Tom Holland just kill Osborne, but he stopped it. I, I had to think about this one once or twice. But in Tobey Maguire, uh, Tobey <laughs> Toby Maguire, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, when Uncle Ben was killed, he immediately went and killed the guy who killed Uncle Ben. And he tells Peter right. that. And he says, that brought me nothing. So now this is Tom Holland about to kill the guy who killed his aunt may and this is toby's redemption of stopping him knowing that if he let him do it he would suffer the same way toby suffered so this was toby's redemption moment 
to stop the glider from going into the goblin, which ultimately then resulted in him getting stabbed. Thankfully, not fatally. I really would not have been happy with that. Um, right. But uh, but that was his moment. Yeah. I agree. And here's the big problem that I wrote on my little pad when I was writing about the movie. Tom Holland's Spider-Man has never been vengeful. He's never been the type of Spider-Man, the type of Peter Parker that would kill ever. So the fact that he was so focused on killing uh, Norman Osborn felt out of character, even with the loss that he had taken, even with Aunt May dying and everything else happening around him. I don't see that character or that portrayal of Peter Parker that we've gotten through five movies at this point. Now the sixth movie he's in. I don't see him taking the glider to kill. Well, that's where I'll disagree. This this is why it's the reverse character arc. The reason you haven't seen the vengeful I'll kill you, Peter, is because he's never had the life experience. Remember, he's only 15, 16, whatever. He's never had that life experience that would make him want to do that. And he just had it. He had it with his Aunt May dying. And that is ultimately what brings him to that. So it's out of character. If he hadn't suffered such a great loss, I wouldn't discount the loss. Because think about it. Tobey Maguire was the same way in his Spider-Man. He was happy well, go lucky, no. fooling around. That's and then, I, and then, I See, here's where I'll disagree. And not to cut you off, but he's still messing around as like, he's not a hero yet. He hasn't done really anything heroic as Spider-Man when Uncle Ben dies. He's been doing his wrestling thing, and he's been playing around and goofing off. He had the chance to stop the the guy who kills Uncle Ben, and he didn't take it because he wasn't a hero yet. Spider-Man has been a hero in this universe for at least three years, three waking years of his life. I know he was gone for five, but three years he's been a hero. Well, now I'm going to quote Doctor Strange and say... Geez, after everything we've been through, I still keep forgetting you're just a kid. And I think that's why that line is in there. Because despite him being a hero for three years, we're kind of forgetting he's just a kid. This was his Aunt May. And this was the guy who killed it. And now he realizes, again, it's the the philosophies. Help whoever you can. He did that because of May. And then this guy did it. And he taunted the heck out of him about it. Like, he pushed every single button. Like, yeah, he listened to her, and that's when it gets... And it's like, don't you talk bad about her, you know? that's yep. that. Those are the buttons right there that, that have never been pushed. And, and so you're right. It's out of the character for the Spider-Man we saw because he hadn't had those buttons pushed. And once they were pushed, he sees it's there, which is why it was important that Tobey Maguire stop him and make him mm-hmm. see, like, this is what I just told you about. Yep. I loved that. I loved that Toby stepped in front of the glider, and just without saying a word, they looked into each other's eyes, and that took him off the ledge. When he got stabbed, I audibly gasped in the theater. It still just sits... It sits off base with me, because even though 
he is still 18 years old at this point, and he's a kid. He has been through so much as a hero. He has fought Captain America. He has been his friendly neighborhood Spider-Man for nine months before Iron Man even found him. He's gone to space. He's fought Thanos. He saw his surrogate father figure die in front of him. His parents passed away when he was a kid. His Uncle Ben, who knows where Uncle Ben is, but Uncle Ben's somewhere. He's suffered loss before. And I know this is the most personal loss he's ever had at someone else's hands, but he's still been doing it long enough to have felt the responsibility. And maybe, maybe it's just, you're right. It's Aunt May. It's too close to home. Well, also he didn't want to help him. He didn't want to help him. He was going to throw him away. He's like, push the button. They're not my problem. So he did it for her. So I think with so much emotion swirling Mm -hmm. there, I'm sure part of it was an anger at himself for having listened to Aunt May and He's probably thinking, oh, man, if I would have just sent him back, that would have been that. And Aunt May would have been pissed, but I'd rather be Aunt May be pissed at me than gone. And Mm -hmm. it's just all all of that emotion. And then probably even part of it, too, is knowing Aunt May was right and bad things can still happen to people who were right. And all of those emotions is what was like, I'm going to put this glider through him. And that's why Toby's just look and like, huh, come on now like is what you know it really took him looking at himself or a version of himself to realize Mm. okay all right all right all right (laughs) you talk me down yep yep you're right you're right now i'm not saying you have to like it i'm just saying i think that was the way it was portrayed and i'll also tell you when you actually watch this through again properly you'll Mm -hmm. you'll like that ending a little better yeah, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Um, so we're we're at the point now. All the all the villains have been cured, but the multiverse is fracturing. And Strange is at the top of the of the Statue of Liberty, screaming, "I can't hold them back." And so Peter does make the ultimate sacrifice, where he tells him to remove Peter Parker from existence he then has to go say his goodbyes to everyone and so he goes down to his spider bros and toby now is where we hear he's going to be okay holland or uh, andrew garfield picks him up and he says he's got his super healing <laughs> which is great he's like oh i got that too right it's another funny little moment mm-hmm. and they all hug and they like you could tell the bond that's there between them which It's just so, again, so great to see that they were able to pull it off. But then he goes over to talk to Ned and MJ and tell them, this is it, you know, you won't won't remember me. Mm -hmm. And he tells MJ he's going to find her. And so I think, you know, in my head, I knew he wasn't going to. Oh, yeah. How do you do that? I knew he was going to, yeah, he was going to understand the weight of if he's if he's Spider-Man she's always in trouble like I, I knew he was going to do that but it was still good to see that decision made once the spell is done it's months later and he goes to the coffee shop and doesn't say anything doesn't give her the letter just orders coffee and leaves it, it, it was a perfect closing to this three film arc 
of of young high school Tom Holland mm-hmm. or young high school Peter Parker. And so I think the movie ended perfectly. It was a beautiful, beautiful film, in my opinion, from at least the halfway point on. It was really well done, really tastefully made. And the right decision was made at the end for him to go off on his own, get his own little apartment, just like every Peter Parker does, get a shitty apartment, and then start being the the Spider-Man we need. One last note. Do it. Something that I think some people might need clarification on, and you and I have now done research to figure it out. So um, I'll set the stage and you can explain it. Let's talk the mid credit scene with Venom. Mm-hmm. In Venom, Let There Be Carnage's mid credit scene, Venom slash Eddie Brock is in some rundown hotel in Mexico, and they are talking and laying in bed, and the hotel room flashes around them, and they're brought into a really nice hotel room in the MCU. They look at the screen, and they see Peter Parker, and it's, it's the Daily Bugle online and it's J. Jonah Jameson reporting on Peter Parker being Spider-Man. Venom gets real excited, and then the movie ends. So in No Way Home's mid credit scene, Venom slash Eddie Brock is at some bar in Mexico learning about the Avengers and all these heroes and villains, and he blips back into his universe, but a little piece of the symbiote stays behind. Now, I for the life of me couldn't figure out why Venom slash Eddie would even come to this universe since they didn't know Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, but you've done some research, so take it away. So, in Let There Be Carnage, Venom and Eddie are talking. Venom, speaking to Eddie, says, 80 billion light years of hive knowledge across universes would explode your tiny little brain. So, it's to be assumed, then, Venom is an alien being that has existed for a long time and has relationship and his relationship with Eddie is only a small part of his story. As it turns out, if we take this hive mind concept into account, the time we spent with Venom hardly accounts for a grain of sand's worth of time compared to 80 billion light years. With the hive mind symbiotes, maybe somebody Hmm. came in contact and maybe if all these multiverses are together, if, if similar symbiote hive mind was the hive that was in spider-man 3 Mm -hmm. then it would know and that's why i think eddie looks at the screen but it's venom that licks it as in i know him not eddie Mm -hmm. recognizing him they should have given something like that in spider-man because a lot of people that saw spider-man didn't see venom but i guess again they don't really care right so the only last little thing that I'd like to mention that I thought was awesome in this and it was a very short scene but I loved it because I loved Charlie Cox as Daredevil and now he's official MCU he's going to be Daredevil now I don't know if there's a movie coming out I don't know how they're going to incorporate him etc etc but his mere presence at the beginning of the film which is exactly why I wanted to go see this before I happened to come mm-hmm. across any information. But when he popped up, I was like, that is awesome. Yep. That is so cool. And then he, he played it perfect. And then he catches that rock. And he's like, how did you do that? I'm a really good lawyer. I'm a really good lawyer, yeah. <laughs> that is so good. 
Um, and while we're on it, also, I love that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin is now in the MCU uh, per mm-hmm. the Hawkeye series. Right. Dude, that is awesome because I I loved the Mar- the Daredevil stuff on Netflix. It was, yeah, so, it was good. so good. And I can only, only, only hope that this means that John Bernthal's Punisher is going to show up in the MCU because my gosh, they, they, the casting on that is so, so, so good. I, I, I think they're, they're brilliant. They, I hope, I hope so. I hope they bring not just Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in. I hope they bring at least Punisher, but everybody else could have a place, even if they weren't great. You know, even if it's just throwaways of Jessica Jones and Iron Fist and whoever else. I'm glad they released No Way Home the same week they released that episode of Hawkeye so that it wasn't one outshining the other. It was that they were in conjunction, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was good. Um, but yeah, I, I'm happy that they're both in the MCU. Right. And I love that he told Happy, like, you're going to need you're gonna need a good lawyer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Hopefully he shows up in the She-Hulk show because she's a lawyer. Okay. So hopefully he'll be in there with her. And then that'll hopefully springboard into back doing more of his own stuff. So, Eric, with all this being said, did Spider-Man No Way Home ruin your childhood? No, not not by a long shot. Like I said, this was actually, to me, like watching fourth Toby movie and a third Andrew movie, even though I didn't see the first two Andrew movies. But um, <laughs> it, it felt just so good. And again, it wasn't just like I said, it wasn't just fan service. I mean, I can go down a long list of what I consider just to be fan service. And this had such emotional depth to it that it it honestly is, I think, as good of a final, quote-unquote, final Spider-Man movie, whether it's final for Tom Holland or for a little while or or whenever they decide to bring Spider-Man back into the the multiverse, which obviously is the perfect time to introduce somebody else playing him if Tom Holland is truly done with him. But uh, Mm -hmm. anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. Point is, no, this this did the exact opposite. It actually made me like Spider-Man a hundred times more than I even had uh, before this. So thumbs up. This is the way to do it. Great. That's great to hear. For me, yeah, it, it enhanced my childhood. It was, it made everything that I saw from 2002 on mean even more. And not only did it impact my, you know, if I ever go back and watch those movies again, I have great closure to them, mm-hmm. but it, it did enhance the childhood Phil that loved Spider-Man as a kid. So very happy with what we got. I have those little nitpicks we talked about, but those can be overlooked for how great the sequences were with all of them together. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, People can find me in a bar in Mexico wondering how I got there and (laughs) having no real good, clear explanation. Uh, Or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, Eric underscore Walensky. Awesome. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. You can also follow the podcast at Podcast Ruined on Instagram and Twitter. 
We want to thank everybody for listening to our journey through the Spider-Man multiverse, and we hope that this look back at all of the Spider-Man films didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. You know, Max was like the sweetest guy ever before he fell into a pool of electric eels. That'll do it. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> you okay? Oh, it's my back. It's kind of stiff from all the swinging, I guess. Oh, yeah, no, I got a middle back thing, too. Really? Yeah. You, you want me to crack it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that'd be great. All right. You ready? Yeah. That's good. That was it. Wow. That's good. Right? That's better. Yeah. Wow. God, this is so cool. I always wanted brothers. So you, like, make your own web fluid in your body. I'd rather not talk about this. No, I don't mean to... Are you teasing me? No, 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 no. He's not teasing you. It's just that... We can't do that, so naturally we're curious as to how your web situation works. That's all. But if it's personal, I don't want to, like, pry, but I just no, think it's cool. I, I wish I could tell you, but it's like I don't do it. Like, I don't... Like, I don't do breathing. Like, breathing just happens. Whoa. Like, does it just come out of your wrists, or... Does it come out of anywhere else? Only... Only the wrists. You never had a web block? Because I run out of webs all the time. I have to make my own in a right. lab. That's, and it's a hassle compared that to That sounds like got. a hassle, yeah. But I, I did, actually. You said that. I was like, oh, I had a web block. Whoa, why? Yeah. Existential crisis stuff. <sighs> yeah, I mean, like, don't get me started on that. Hey, what are, like, some of the craziest villains that you guys have fought? Seems you've met some of them. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I, I fought a, an alien made out of black goo once. Oh, no way. I fought an alien, too. On Earth and in space. Oh. Yeah, he was purple. I want to fight an alien. I'm, I'm, I'm still like that you fought an alien in space. <sighs> I'm lame compared... Like, I fought a Russian guy in a, like a rhinoceros machine. Can, can we rewind it back to the I'm lame part? Because you are not. No, thanks. No, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm not saying I'm lame. But I'm just, just saying the like... the self-talk maybe we should, you yeah, know... Listen. Because uh... you're, you're amazing. Just to take it in for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can you, take it in. No, I can take you it in. are amazing. I can take it in. You are amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Will you say it? No, I kind of needed to hear that. Thank you. All right, guys, focus on. You feel that? Yeah. <laughs>